Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Before the NBA regular season resumes, the teams and the headlines to watch for. Plus, with the NFL officially in the offseason, what storylines will be worth monitoring? And the debut of a brand new segment. It's episode 62 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. How's it going, everybody, here on Thursday, February 24th, 2022, episode number 62 coming at you of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting your podcast, whether that be visually on YouTube or on any other podcasting platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Around here over the past week, it has been pretty eventful. We got another snowstorm coming up here in the Swampscott, Massachusetts area. Looks like it's going to be about 8 to 12 inches, so I'm already going to be loosening up because I know I got a lot of shoveling to do, especially after the giant blizzard that we had a couple of weeks ago. I know it's not going to be as bad, so it's like if we can shovel out of a blizzard uh, with two feet of snow, then 8 to 12 inches should be absolutely nothing. But in the sports world, it's kind of quiet. I mean, you've got the football season coming to an end. The NBA is on their break uh, or just coming out of their all-star break. Um, And then you got the NHL. MLB obviously still in a lockout. But it's kind of quiet, but things are definitely going to be ramping up. And I thought we could get started with previewing the second half of the NBA season. But before we get into it, I just got to say the celebration for the NBA 75 list Uh, during All-Star Weekend in Cleveland was unbelievable. It it was unreal to watch that thing, you know, in real time and then going back and watching it. You've got a bunch of different generations from when the NBA first started to its peak years, uh, to the 80s, to to the mid-2000s, and to now. It was unreal to see so many legends, past, present, and future in this same arena. And I'm trying to take it in as best I can because something like this probably isn't going to happen until 2047 when the hundredth season of the NBA is celebrated. So we got another 25 years, but I know it was great to see players that I started watching with in my childhood be on the same stage as players that are there now. And then obviously, you know, everyone knows the history of, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman. I mean, how many times are you going to see Dennis Rodman and Chris Paul on the same stage? Very rarely. So I drank it all in, and it was just a great weekend. I mean, taking away, you know, All-Star Weekend and the events of the dunk contest and stuff like that, that were probably subpar. The ceremony before the game was unreal absolutely unreal but tonight is when the second half of the nba season kicks off 
Uh, we got a couple games going on. I can't give you them exactly off the top of my head. And I thought for this segment, we look at some of the headlines and the storylines to really watch for as we get closer and closer towards the playoffs. Cause we're just a little bit uh, under two months. It's a little less than two months until the playoffs get started. And obviously everyone's awaiting the new look Brooklyn Nets and the new look Philadelphia 76ers. And we talked a lot about it in the last couple of weeks about the trade, how it went down, possible chemistry and stuff like that. But I'm just wondering how Brooklyn is going to look with all of these new pieces. I mean, obviously they've been struggling recently. You know, they had an 11 game losing streak before uh, the break. And then they make this big trade. You still got uh, Kevin Durant, who's still injured. You got Kyrie Irving still being a part-time player. And we're hearing about Ben Simmons really ramping up his uh, activity with the uh, Brooklyn organization. So I'm just wondering, how is Simmons going to fit? Because initially, when you had the big three of Durant, Irving, and Harden, you thought offense was going to be at plenty. Ben Simmons, to me, does not provide you know the kind of offense that uh, James Harden would. Now he's he's same he's same with a with a playmaking ability in terms of passing the ball. He's one of the better passers, and obviously, if you got a six ten point guard uh, that can play defense as well, that's an ultimate asset. But how is he going to fit? You know, I think there's going to be more scoring coming from Durant once he's healthy, and uh, from Kyrie. Uh, but it's the rest of the depth that I, that I really look about. Now that's. Part one of the big three. Part two is when is the vaccine mandate going to end and allow Kyrie Irving to play? Because I ultimately believe it's going to get lifted uh, before the playoffs. You know, in listening to the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, he said he can't wait to lift restrictions. So I ultimately expect Kyrie Irving to once again become a full-time player. Because part of the struggles, at least in my eyes, Brooklyn, is you basically have to have two different game plans where you go on the road you got to put in a game plan that allows Kyrie to be sort of that, I guess, point guard and just get a bunch of shots and kind of be your focal point on offense. When you're playing other games like at home or games that he can't play, and that's a totally different mindset. So I think what Steve Nash and that coaching staff would love is to have a nice, consistent game plan that they can use at home and on the road. And hopefully a regular schedule for Kyrie will make Brooklyn better because so far, in the games Irving has played, he's averaging 24 points and almost five and a half assists, but they're four and 10 in the games that he's played, including eight straight losses. Now to where Brooklyn is right now in the East eighth in the East, currently two and a half games back of that six seed. The team right now is Boston. I don't know how well they're going to turn things around. Cause obviously you got Joe Harris. Who's got, a bunch of injury questions. Then you've got uh, these new acquisitions. You know, how well is Andre Drummond going to play? Because obviously he's fallen off the past couple of years. Can he still be that sort of uh, rebounding and big presence down low at the center spot? Because I, I like some of the depth they have. I like LaMarcus Aldridge off the bench. I like Patty Mills. But after that, and then of course, Cam Thomas as well. You know, where's the depth and how far is it going to take them? Now, I do expect them to move up of that eighth seed, you know, having that depth. And I should also mention, you know, adding Seth Curry in that trade and then getting Goran Dragic from the buyout market. I think they do avoid that plan. 
I do think they will climb out of the play in and maybe get to the fifth or sixth seed. You know, I don't have any doubts that they will or that they won't make the playoffs because I do believe they will make it. But how effective can they be? I think in my eyes, it's all about seeding. And the first couple of games obviously is not going to tell the whole story, but I would just love to see Simmons, Durant, and Irving all on the floor just to see how well they can adjust with each other. That's going to be curious. And then on the other side for Philly, I've already talked about it. I think their depth is going to be really tested because, I mean, you're putting more pressure on Georgia Sneang, who's averaging, who went from maybe 20 minutes a game to 30 minutes a game. Then uh, you have Danny Green, who we all know his playoff struggles uh, in recent years. You know, that's going to put more pressure on them, but it's also going to uh, look at guys like uh, Joel Embiid to continue his numbers, but also James Harden has got to get back to the unstoppable, for- unstoppable force that he was. Because on paper, they'd be my favorites coming out of the East. If you have Joel Embiid continuing the way he is, along with James Harden being a triple-double threat that we saw in his early times in Brooklyn and obviously a big scoring threat uh, during his time with Houston. If, if on paper that works out, then this would be my favorite. But we'll just have to see what happens with uh, Philly and if they can get any higher than where they are right now. Because they're currently fifth. You know, they're still looking for that home court advantage. So we'll have to see what happens. But on the other side, a top team in the West is obviously the Phoenix Suns. And I think a headline to watch for is life in Phoenix without Chris Paul. Obviously, CP3 is going to be out six to eight weeks with the thumb fracture. So how how is uh, how are the Suns going to be able to cope with that? I mean, they've still got a great presence down low in DeAndre, and they've still got a great scoring in Devin Booker. But I kind of look at the position that they put themselves in as something that you don't really have to panic about it. I mean, they're 48 and 10. They're first in the West, and they've got six and a half up on Golden State right now for that number one spot. Now, depending on the timeline, you know, I think Chris Paul can come back for the playoffs, and I don't really see him dropping that far. You know, I still think they'd be within that top four because when you look at it, you got Phoenix, you got Golden State, then you got Memphis, then you got Utah. And then after that, the field is totally separated from Dallas, Denver, uh, the Clippers, the Timberwolves, teams like that. So I think they're still going to have that home court advantage. It's just a matter of where they are seating and how are they going to be able to impact it? Because obviously, Chris Paul is an MVP candidate before this injury. I thought he was at least top five in my eyes, you know, the way he's been able to facilitate how Phoenix has done. But I think you know, with him in that line lineup now for a, a year or so, I think it's inspired the rest of the team to kind of avoid those uh, losing ways that we saw in years past before CP3 got into Phoenix. I think Devin Booker is going to improve his scoring. I think DeAndre Aiden's going to have more of a presence down low. And you got to remember what Cameron Payne did in Chris Paul's absence during the playoffs last year. He was a big scoring threat. And you're not looking for Payne to be CP3 2.0. You're just looking for him to be a capable point guard that can manage this offense. So I'm not fully panicked on the Phoenix Suns just yet. I still think they'll be contenders. Plus, Chris Paul will be healthy. He knows 
he has had some bad luck in terms of injuries and timing and all that. But I think, you know, this was probably the best case scenario for Paul to get hurt in the po- uh, before the postseason with a big gap in the standings right now. That's what I see with the Suns. I don't see any worries for them. But sticking in the West, I think a story to watch for is how are the Lakers? I think not just what they do on the court, but off the court. I mean, LeBron James, it sounds like he's setting himself up to leave L.A. in the near future. Because, I mean, technically, he's still under contract until 2024. And we're hearing that whichever team, I mean, he said himself, whichever team takes his son, Bronny Jr., is where he's going to go. And that would be his last year in the NBA, at least. And you got the report saying he hated what Rob Palenka didn't do at the trade deadline. So I don't know how many more years LeBron has left uh, in La La Land in uh, Los Angeles. I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. But obviously this team, as I said uh, last week, this is a team not made to win a championship. They can get into the play-in, but I don't see them going further than that so I want to see what LeBron does if he does anything on the court if he picks up his game or if he kind of just throws in the white flag and saying you know what my time in LA is done this team isn't going to do anything just get me out of here so I want to watch LeBron James not just what he does on the floor but his comments post game how he handles himself on the bench you know what is he going to do and is he going to drive himself to go elsewhere you know maybe he goes back to Cleveland he has said the door is still open for that and that would kind of be you know another return to Cleveland especially the way the Cavs are playing so you know that LeBron is going to be a guy that I'm really going to watch out for and uh, how well the Lakers do if they can avoid missing the playoffs and at least getting into the play-in but speaking of the play-in I think that's the last thing you really got to watch out for is that these last play-in spots are going to tighten up in the West. I mean, this is going to be much more tighter than the East because I, I see Atlanta and Charlotte building a gap from everyone else in the Eastern Conference. But in the West, you've got the Lakers, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Pelicans, and the Kings all separated by six games. And the Lakers are in the number nine spot uh, in that play-in spot. Now, the Lakers, to me, are a lock. I think they're a lot to get into the play and everything else seems kind of re- up in the air just because it seems like every team is basically tanking for next year. They're throwing in the white, white flag, throwing in the towel saying, you know what, this season is done, but one of these teams is still going to make the playoffs. Now I would have said the Blazers, if uh, Yusuf Nurkic was still healthy uh, the way they could maintain it, but now he's out four weeks uh, with a foot injury then obviously Damian Lillard still hurt. Uh, you got the Spurs who just traded one of their best players in Derek White. You got the Pelicans with their troubles with Zion Williamson. And then you got Sacramento who just made a bunch of trades. I, I don't want to say like on paper to me, it would be Sacramento, but I just don't trust the Kings enough. So I think I would slightly favor New Orleans just because of what they got. They still have C.J. McCollum, who's one of the best scorers that this league has today. You pair him with uh, Brandon Ingram and all those other pieces for New Orleans. Now, obviously, defensively, they've got to uh, correct some things, and I think they will. 
I think they will. And eventually they're going to learn Zion ain't coming back. And who even knows if he's going to be back with that franchise with what we're hearing. I mean, we've heard that he hasn't contacted CJ McCollum who probably is the best player he's played with so far in his first three years. And you know, that that's a situation within itself, but I think for this year they can get themselves in the 10 spot and all they need is a good stretch because they've got two great scores in McCollum and Ingram. Um, defensively, obviously, as I said, they've got some veterans who are going to play a lot better. I don't think they're going far. I think they're probably going to be like a one and done. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens for that last play in spot. But all I know is with the NBA coming back from its all-star break, the action is sure to pick up in the race for the postseason. As I said, the NFL season's come to an end, but that doesn't mean the headlines stop. As the offseason is getting underway, you got the franchise tag options opening up this week, and then until March 8th is when the players can be tagged. But obviously, there are a lot of, lot of storylines to be watching out for uh, during the offseason, and I think number one has to be Green Bay. What happens with Aaron Rodgers? Because that's where I think it starts and where it ends. And we've heard that, a decision is coming soon from Rogers. So I'm sure we're probably going to be talking about this next week, whatever decision he decides on, you know, regarding his future, you know, I'm not even going to try and read into the Instagram posts just because he's been so unpredictable, you know, requesting the trade early on and then saying I'm immunized and just a bunch of stuff. So I'm not even going to try and read into what Aaron Rodgers does. Absolutely not. But this is going to be the most watched storyline. And that's, as I said, it starts and ends with Aaron Rodgers. And what we're seeing is Packers management catering to him, essentially. They're basically going to break the bank to try and keep that guy. Because I think they saw when Rodgers missed that game when he tested positive that Jordan Love might not be the guy just yet. You know, maybe they want to give it some more time. But I mean... With all the other things that they've done, I mean, they got Tom Clements out of retirement to be the quarterback's coach. They're making cap room with restructuring contracts and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's going to be enough for Aaron Rodgers to change his mind. I mean, I've kind of been on the, the train of I think he's going elsewhere. That's what I would predict right now. You know, I don't think I see him retiring. I mean, he's still 37 years old. I mean, you got Tom Brady who just retired at 44, Ben Roethlisberger at like 39 or 40. I think he's still got some years left, and I think he's going to find it elsewhere. I think he's just kind of looking for a fresh start, you know, similar to recent quarterbacks like the aforementioned Brady or Peyton Manning who went to Denver after a stint with Indy. Philip Rivers went to uh, Indy after time with the Chargers. You know, that's what I'm expecting is I think that Rodgers is going to be elsewhere. I think, and I'm going to mark this down, that Aaron Rodgers will start the 2022 NFL season in a new jersey with a new team. That's where I think it is. Now, in terms of where it could go, you know, Denver's been an option. I'm, again, not going not gonna to speculate or you know, read into anything because Aaron Rodgers is so unpredictable. But if it were me, 
in looking at everything that's transpired over the last 365 days and everything Rodgers has done. I think his time in Green Bay has come to an end. And, you know, after that, you got to think, what does Green Bay do with uh, Devontae Adams? Because that's going to be another reason why they're so washed is because Devontae Adams has options too. He could follow Aaron Rodgers to wherever he goes, or he could get tagged by uh, the Packers and essentially kind of make their lives miserable for not having Aaron Rodgers. So I think Green Bay is going to be an organization and a team to really watch for, regardless of whatever decision gets made uh, by Rodgers, if he stays or if he goes. But that was a story within itself last year. I think this year, it's going to be Arizona. I think with what you're hearing about with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, this sounds like it's going to be this year's drama, uh, what Packers and Aaron Rodgers was last year. I think Arizona, Kyler Murray, this is going to be the next one. Now, Murray has basically done everything to kind of say, back off Arizona, back off Cardinals. I mean, he scrubbed his Instagram of anything Cardinals related, and you've heard Arizona call him self-centered, immature, and a finger pointer. Now, if I was anyone within that era, Arizona locker room or that Cardinals management, I wouldn't be saying a damn thing about Kyler Murray, not saying a single thing about how he treats himself, because this is still a young top 10 talent in my mind in the NFL. He's a top 10 quarterback. No one, very few have his speed. He does have to improve his throwing accuracy and his decision makings. But Cliff Kingsbury has got to find a way to reel in Kyler Murray and reel in this situation because it could go to a point of no return. And if we're hearing all these things that the Cardinals are calling him and Murray's kind of holding this grudge or whatever, you know, who knows if Kyler Murray is going to be the longtime quarterback because Arizona has been looking and looking and looking and they finally found their guy in Murray. And now they're going to lose him because they call him all of these things. You know, maybe he is, but you don't say it out loud where everyone can hear it because then you look like the bad guy. So Cardinals and Kyler Murray is another storyline to watch for. Will Kyler take this thing any further than it is? Because this could be like a leverage thing where Murray might want a bigger contract once he's done with his rookie contract. He wants that big extension. You know, we'll have to see what happens with Arizona. There's still plenty of time. It's still, it, it isn't even March yet. You know, training camp won't start until July and uh, August. So there could still be time to make up for it, but Arizona has got to reel in that situation fast, fast and furious. But then one other storyline I want to watch for uh, in the off season is what happens at the quarterback position? Because, there are about, I'd say, maybe 10 teams who could be looking at a new quarterback. You know, you've got Russell Wilson possibly on the trade market. Uh, you've got the Steelers and the Bucks looking for uh, some replacements to their recent retired quarterbacks. Uh, just naming a few other ones, Denver possibly, uh, maybe Minnesota, depending on what happens with uh, Kirk Cousins. You know, there's a lot of teams that look like they'll be getting new quarterbacks. and. In my eyes, I want to watch for the Steelers and the Bucks. How are they going to attack this? Are they going to go into the draft or are they maybe going to go 
into free agency because the simple thing for Tampa to do would be just getting a guy from free agency to kind of be like a bridge guy. And then hopefully you develop someone out of the draft or something like that. That's what it would be to me. But from what we've heard from uh, Brady and the organization is that there was a little bit of rift there, you know, where do they go in free agency? Do they maybe get a bridge guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick or do they bring back Jameis Winston? Who's coming off a knee injury. What is Tampa going to do? You know, do they go through the drafts? Ultimately, I don't know if Tampa is going to be as uh, strong as they were when Tom Brady was there. I think they're kind of on the fringe. I mean, they're still, at least in my eyes, the best team in the South, in the NFC South, you know, depending on what New Orleans does and Carolina, uh, all those teams. What do they do? And Atlanta, obviously. But I'm very curious to see how Bruce Arians in that uh, Tampa organization replaces Tom Brady. But I feel more comfortable on Pittsburgh's side of things than I do with the Bucs. That'd probably be the second team that I want to watch for. Pittsburgh, obviously, they lost – Ben Roethlisberger, and they kind of knew heading into this year that this was going to be the last one. So how are they going to do it? I mean, they've had Mason Rudolph as a backup for a long time. Do they put him into the starting role or do they go into the draft or free agency? They could be a player in Aaron Rodgers uh, if he says he wants to move on. What is Pittsburgh going to do? And Mike Tomlin is a very smart guy. He's a smart guy. He's had a 500 record since becoming the head coach, including two Super Bowl appearances, one win. And he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He will get this figured out. And I have no doubt that Pittsburgh will have an answer. Probably they might already have an answer now, but we just don't know about it uh, in the public eye. So we'll see how the Steelers manage life without Ben Roethlisberger. But from the news that we've heard so far in the NFL offseason, this is going to be a long couple of months before training camp in the NFL gets underway. Now, from what I've noticed in the uh, past couple of episodes and a couple of comments I've heard is that, you know, not all topics get covered uh, in the sports world. There are a ton of headlines that are still out there. But we only have room for, you know, three segments followed by a let's get local and then our LOL moment of the week. So I thought let's try and cover as much as we can in a little amount of time. So this is the debut of a brand new segment. How it's going to work is that I've got five topics listed in front of me and we're going to spend no more than maybe two minutes or so. We're not going to go into a long winded discussion like we were in the previous segments uh, for this episode, an example not as much time on the NBA or on the NFL. So these are just quick headlines that have happened over the past week, and we're just going to spend a few short minutes talking about it. So this is the debut of our new segment. It's time for Quick Hits. Now, the biggest story, I think, from the past week has been in the college game and Jawan Howard. Of course, if you don't know, the Michigan basketball head coach, Jawan Howard, suspended for the regular season for striking a coach uh, from Wisconsin in the handshake line. Now, to set up the story, Wisconsin was winning by a lot. They took a timeout with 15 seconds left. Obviously, Jawan Howard took exception to that, and now he put his hands on a coach 
And I was watching this live and I couldn't believe it. Like I had to do a double take. I saw like a skirmish going on. And I was like, what's going on? And then in the replay, you see Juwan Howard pull his mask down, start arguing. And then he's, it's kind of like an open hand sort of thing, but he connected with another coach. And I'm sorry, but you just cannot do that. I don't care what the reason is, whether it's fair or not. You just can't do that, especially as a coach. You know, you see players like that, possibly, you know, maybe they don't strike uh, people as much as they do, but they kind of just go up to the guys and just be like, hey, that's not cool. That's not cool. Jawan Howard hit a guy. He hit a coach. And I thought suspending him for the regular season was the perfect punishment, but you can't do that. You just cannot do that regardless of the reason. And not only that, but you're in the college game. You're setting an example for your team. Yeah, you'll fight for him, but you don't want to take it to that level and you don't want to get any of your players involved. And honestly, it could be the moment that ends Michigan's March Madness chances. I mean, after that game, there were five games left and I know the Wolverines won against, I believe, Rutgers it was last night, but they've still got four games to go and they need an impressive showing in the Big Ten tournament to at least get consideration to get into March Madness. So Jawan Howard just made a bad decision in striking another coach from Wisconsin. Up next, we go to the NHL and let's talk about Jack Eichel, who was looked like a phenom on the rise. And now he had the back injury. He's healthy. He's on the ice and he got his first goal in a little over a year with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And ultimately, there's still ground to make up, but I think with a healthy Jack Eichel, Vegas can be dangerous. They can absolutely be dangerous. You look at where they are in the standings, they are second in the Pacific Division and only four points behind Calgary. Now I know the Flames have won 10 straight, so there still is some ground to make up, but with what we've seen basically since the Golden Knights were instituted in the NHL is that this can be a very dangerous team getting into postseason play, especially when you've got Jack Eichel, who's getting more and more comfortable because when he's healthy, in my eyes, he's a top 10 talent in the NHL. And this was pre herniated disc back surgery, you know, stuff like that. This was pre that now, is he going to be the exact same player that we saw? Probably not. I think he's still going to be a little bit, you know, cautious. I know if it were me and I had back surgery going back uh, into the NHL, I would be a little bit cautious to maybe turn up the physicality or whatever. But if Jack Eichel wants to go after it, he's going to go after it. And he could make this Golden Knights team better and better. So watch out for Vegas in the NHL making a run. Now the big story is the MLB and its lockout. We heard last night after day three in a row, it was the third day in a row of negotiations, that the owners have said the season is going to be shortened if there is no deal by Monday. Now, I've talked about the lockout for the past couple of weeks, and I've I've been on the player side for what they're looking for, but I hate to say it, but it's a good leverage move by the owners towards the union because now they're putting the pressure on the players and obviously the players have said oh you can just play double headers and obviously that would be easy but on the owner's side of things it's 
a good sort of leverage thing to put some pressure on the players to say, listen, we are going to cancel games. We're not going to give a crap about double headers unless we get this deal done. Now, pressure is on both sides, obviously, to get a deal done. And from what we're hearing, they're still a long way away in terms of, you know, the money that's available, the MLB, the owners want to keep it the way it is. The MLB wants to make, or uh, the players want to make some more money. But ultimately, the pressure is on now. Both sides have to get a deal done. They have to get a deal done so we get to play baseball and that there's no season shortage. We don't want that. No fans want that. I don't think players want that and owners don't want that. But if they're so stuck in the mud of what they're looking for with the CBA, then this lockout is going to go on for a little bit of time. Moving to golf, let's talk about the Saudi Golf League. That's been kind of making the making the rounds a little bit in terms of the PGA. They've offered a lot of money to some names uh, from the PGA Tour to get a commitment, but we're starting to see some big-name players uh, commit to the PGA Tour and stick with it. Guys like Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, and Rory McIlroy. They have said they're going to stick with the PGA Tour. And honestly, in my eyes, I didn't have a lot of faith in the league to begin with. I mean, all they're trying to do is just they they look at the almighty dollar and they say, hey, 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 over here, come and get it, come and get it. And some golfers have said yes, but I think not enough to to move the needle. And honestly, when you look at the PGA Tour, I mean, you've got tournaments like the Masters, the British Open. You've got golf courses like Pebble Beach. I mean, you can't top that. You know, I don't care who you are. You can't top that if you're the PGA Tour. So they're they're not i'm not gonna say that they're a a true competitor because i think there's still gonna be someone to watch out for but ultimately i think the pga tour is going to be the bigger golf league but obviously then you have the phil mickelson situation which is just a mess regarding uh the saudi golf league he's saying the pga has him not just greed he's called out the saudis in a yet to be published autobiography talking about their human rights issues And then he walked it back saying he wanted to use it as leverage for the PGA. I mean, it's just a mess right now. And I don't think Phil Mickelson is in a good spot right now with what he has said, how he's tried to walk it back. You know, is he going to be public enemy number one? No, because I think fans are going to gravitate towards him because he's kind of like the cool old guy with what we've seen, you know, during the match. And, you know, he's rocked the, the shade. So... I ultimately think he will turn things around, but in the moment right now, Phil Mickelson has got a stain right now on his resume. And finally, our last segment in Quick Hits, Tom Brady is beginning his post-life after football as he's going to star and produce in a brand new movie. It's called 80 for Brady. Now, the way this works, uh, or at least the synopsis I've seen, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field take a road trip to Super Bowl in 2017. Now, if you don't know, the Super Bowl was the Patriots' comeback against Atlanta. And Tom Brady is going to star as himself, and he's also got his production company, uh, 199 Productions, uh, to produce this. He's also going to star in it. 80 for Brady is the name. Now, this is more... It's not so much I'm going to talk about the movie i just want to talk about the fact that this to me 
puts me on the he won't come back train because I've been on that train basically since he has been retired. I don't see him coming back at all. And I know everyone wants to speculate with everything he said and everything he's done. He's obviously said never say never, but come on, let's just let it go. The guy is retired. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep it the way he says he's retired. You know, this isn't going to be Brett Favre 2.0. The guy's 44 years old. He's going to turn 45 in August. You really think he'll come back for uh, another team like San Francisco or whatever? I think he is very happy the way he is. He's going to stay retired. I am on the he won't come back train. And that's, that's what I see for Tom Brady. And you know, this is a good start. This is a good start is starring and producing in your own movie. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen him uh, on the big screen in uh, Ted 2 when, uh, with Mark Wahlberg in uh, Entourage as well. So this could be a good post-life. I mean, he's got a bunch of things setting himself up for life after football. And that's ultimately what I think uh, will happen with Tom Brady is he'll just get more and more into... Uh, the life after football, whether it be movies or his own like clothing brand or stuff like that. Tom Brady will stay retired. And that, ladies and gentlemen, ends our segment of Quick Hits. from a new segment to an old time segment. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And in the city of Boston, all these teams have been very, very quiet. Really, the only active team right now are the Bruins. And obviously, they've got a bunch of stories to talk about right now. They have bounced back from a really tough stretch. Obviously, they didn't have uh, Patrice Bergeron for a couple of games. Brad Marchand is coming back uh, for tonight's game in Seattle to kick off the West Coast swing. But those, there's really a, just a few stuff I want to talk about. The, re, the recent couple of games. Since Bergeron has returned, 2-1, and one, including back-to-back wins against Ottawa and then against Colorado. Now, that game against the Avalanche at the Garden on Monday afternoon, I think it was extremely impressive to kind of dominate the league-leading Colorado Avalanche the way they did, 5-1. to one. I mean, Pasternak was on fire with two goals and an assist. And I'm seeing him really, really step up in the absence of uh, Bergeron and Marshawn. You know, we're seeing guys like him, guys like Taylor Hall, uh, guys like Jake DeBrus are kind of saying, oh, with all these guys out, it's time for us to pick up our game. And sure enough, they have. And they had, a obviously, the first game uh, against uh, Carolina. Six-nothing was bad, but... The fact that they went three and three in a stretch without Martian in the lineup was manageable. You know, that's, that's key is that it's manageable. You don't lose points, but you don't gain points as well. You're right on the middle ground. So I thought it was a good job by the Bruins to maintain it. And not only that, but they're also climbing in the standings. If you look at where the NHL standings are right now, there are only three points behind the Capitals for that first wild card spot. And then they're only six points behind the Maple Leafs for third in the Atlantic, which would get them out of the wild card spot. Now, I think it's so important for this Bruins team to kind of get out 
from that wild card position because we see them rising and rising and rising. And I think they can do more damage if they have the home ice and don't have to worry about playing these top teams because we've seen in recent weeks, they're still a little bit away from Carolina. They're away from Pittsburgh. They've still got some ground to make up on uh, those teams. So I think the more you avoid top teams like that, then I think the better chance this Bruins team has to go a long way into the postseason. Now, I do think this West Coast swing uh, that includes this, that's included on a six-game road trip, I think it's a good way to sort of rediscover the formula for success because you've got Bergeron back in the lineup. Brad Marchand, as I mentioned, is going to be back in the lineup. And you're also trying to figure out your goaltender situation. They're still splitting time between Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark, but you've got Seattle, San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, Vegas, and Columbus over the next 10 days. So just to reiterate, including today, you've got six road games over the next 10 days. That's insane. That's insane. And honestly, it could benefit uh, the Bruins because they've played so much and they're still fresh. They don't got to wait for anything. Obviously, it's going to be tough against teams like Vegas uh, and Anaheim and Columbus, you know, teams like that. But to get the groove and get this team fully healthy, finding that formula for success, as I mentioned, you rediscover it. This is a very dangerous team. I mean, the way they performed in Colorado, it was kind of like they were chomping at the bit to get uh, Brad Marchand back. And now that he's back, this offense can be back to the way it was. I mean, they put up nearly like 50 shots in the game against Colorado. They're fifth in the entire league in total shots. So that number is just only going to get bigger and bigger with Marchand back in the lineup. But we've talked a lot about guys like the goalies or Bergeron or Marchand or Hall, but I want to focus on one guy in particular, and that's Charlie McAvoy. Because I think he's getting overlooked in what he's done in his fifth season. I think he's been great. He's having the best year of his career. And this has been a defense that has struggled for almost the last calendar year. When you think about it, he's struggled at times, but he's been at the forefront of this resurgence and sort of this defense sort of picking its way up. He's been one of those guys where, yeah, the rest of the defense is going to struggle, but he's a reliable defender that you can have on the first or the second line. I mean, he's already matched his career high in goals and he's only two points off of his career high in points. And he hasn't even hit the 50 game mark. These are totals that he's hit in a full season or almost a full season. So I'm very impressed to see what Charlie McAvoy has done. And I think he can become the longtime defender that Zdeno Chara was for the Bruins for a very long time. And I hope he stays with this organization because I think he's a key foundational piece. I think if you look at guys after uh, McAvoy and Carlo, uh, Mike Riley, just to name a few names, I think those guys have the most longevity. Everyone else, I'm not 100% sure on just yet. What I know for right now is that McAvoy, Carlo on the defensive end are two guys who are foundational pieces, more so McAvoy, just because of what he's done, not only on the defensive end, but the offensive end, the way he's been able to move the puck and garner all the zone time has been insanely impressive. So props 
to Mr. McAvoy for that Bruins team. And let's see how this Bruins team does on their West Coast swing beginning tonight at 10 o'clock in Seattle. But another team that is coming back onto the active floor are the Celtics. And obviously, everyone's got to talk about how they've kind of refound themselves uh, heading into the All-Star break. They had that nine-game winning streak before it was broken uh, by Detroit. But before we get into that, I, I do want to talk, you know, because you have some Celtics fans talking about that uh, little moment that happened during the uh, NBA 75 uh, celebration when uh, Ray Allen, it looked like he snubbed KG, and KG kind of had that look of just like biting his tongue or biting his lip, you know, that he might still be a little bit bitter. Let's not overreact for two reasons. Number one is that Paul Pierce shared a photo of the three of them. So obviously things are, they look better in that uh, restraint. Number two is that everyone has moved on. This is, we're going on 10 years, 10 years that this happened. You know, maybe you can be bitter about it for two years or so, but to go 10, I mean, I've moved on. I know, I know I've hated the move. I hated the move ever since, but you got to remember Ray Allen wasn't a lifetime Celtic. He's moved on from Milwaukee. He's moved on from Seattle. And then he moved on from Boston and eventually went to Miami. So it wasn't like he was a longtime Celtic. So I've moved on from the situation. It took me some time, but I have moved on and I think everyone else should. So if you're someone listening to this podcast and you're still bitter about Ray Allen, you know, and that relationship between KG and Paul Pierce, calm down. Everything's okay. Let's not, let's not overstate what's actually going on. Okay. But moving on from the past, let's talk about the present. And as I said, the Celtics right now are 34 and 26. They're six in the Eastern conference and they're four and a half games back of first place, Miami and Chicago. Now, I think what was so important for the Celtics team is that they, that Ime Odoka and the coaching staff have found the pieces for success. And I think when they get into the postseason, the eight-man rotation that Udoka has set up can work. It can work. You have the starting five, obviously, of the two Jays, Rob Williams, Horford, and Smart. And then you've got Derek White off the bench, Grant Williams off the bench, and you might even throw in uh, Daniel Tice or something like that. But where are the, you know, for the, for the regular season, we need more minutes. This has got to be a 10-man or an 11-man rotation. Obviously, it depends on whoever you're playing. But in terms of the regular season, you need more minutes for Tice, more minutes for Pritchard, and more minutes for Aaron Nismith. So how is Udoka? Is he going to expand the rotation instead of going from that tight-knit 8 to 10? Because we've seen it in the past. If you're playing these guys a lot of minutes in the regular season, it's going to have a wear and tear on their body and they're not going to be as effective when it comes to the postseason versus uh, where they are right now. And you're just kind of hoping as a Celtics fan that they didn't peak during that winning streak and that hopefully the defense can continue to be that foundation as they uh, have great communication with each other, having great recovery defense off of the double teams. I think if that continues to be the foundation as a fan, you can be really, really confident. Now, the offense, I still think, needs a little bit of work. I think I think they do have great ball movement, but it's a matter of keeping that consistent ball movement going. You know, 
not sticking to isolation for three straight plays. It's continuing to move the ball and then just avoiding poor shot selection. And I look mostly at Jason Tatum when he's in isolation and he's putting up the shot over two defenders, you know, that's where he's got to learn to make that extra pass and his court vision get better and better. But that's what, that's a couple of things I see with the Celtics team, but overall in the grand scheme of things, how do they perform now with the expectations back to being where everyone thought they'd be? Because when you have two, I think you have two of the top 20 players at least in the league right now in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And you've got an improved Marcus Smart, a much improved Rob Williams. This is a team that had expectations of being contenders in the Eastern Conference not too long ago. And because they stuck at 500 last year, those expectations have dwindled. Now that they are kind of where everyone thought they could be when they're at max potential, how do they perform with those expectations? Because honestly, the teams are going to be tougher. They're going to they're gonna have much more tougher games compared to that nine-game winning streak. You know, just looking quickly at the schedule, they'll have to play Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, Milwaukee. You know, those are just a few teams that I saw. So it's going to get tougher and tougher. But as I said, they're kind of where I thought they'd be right now. They're in six. I thought they could have that five to six range. But the good news for the Celtics is that the East is so tight that they just need another good stretch and they can get themselves home court advantage and get themselves into the fourth or the third seed, possibly, you know, just find a way to increase it. And they got to do that because Brooklyn is going to get better. Uh, Milwaukee's going to get better. Philly's getting better. And then you've got Chicago getting healthier, Miami getting healthier. Uh, and then you have the unpredictable Cleveland team. This is the chance for the Celtics. I think the first couple of games are going to be huge for the Celtics. How they perform in the first maybe two or three games starting tonight against Brooklyn. If they come out strong, then you can start to see this team answer the bell and think, oh, this team has got potential possibly. So let's see what the Celtics do post-All-Star break beginning tonight playing Brooklyn. But one team we haven't talked about recently are the Patriots, and they've got some questions in the offseason as well. And there's been a lot that has happened so far, especially in the uh, coaching department uh, for New England. Obviously, uh Josh McDaniels took the job in Las Vegas. They took away the general manager as well. Mick Lombardi is going to be the offensive coordinator. So a couple of coaches have left. And from what we're seeing on the coaching tree, especially in the offensive side of things, I don't know if it's quite ideal if you're looking for Mac Jones to improve from his rookie year to his sophomore year. I mean, you're talking guys like Joe Judge, who got fired from the New York Giants. And Matt Patricia, who is a longtime defensive guy, taking some control of the offense. I don't trust those guys. I honestly wouldn't trust them to take control of the offense or kind of be in the Josh McDaniel roles of while the defense is on the floor or uh, on the field, sitting down with Mac Jones and looking over game film. So I don't know what Coach Bill Belichick is doing or if he's taking more on himself because I don't think he really should. I mean, not only is he up there in age, but he's just got to have some dependable help. And I don't know if Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are the two guys that are going to turn this offense around. I really don't think so. But that's on the coaching side of things. 
Talking about the player side of things, we're hearing a little bit from J.C. Jackson, obviously, who is a free agent and is looking to get some big money. Now, it's going back and forth on whether it's going to be a long-term thing or if it's a short-term thing, like putting the franchise tag on him. But what we're hearing from Jackson kind of concerns me a little bit. You know, he's feeling a little bitter about the lack of contact from New England. And he said, quote, I guess they feel like they don't meet, need me, which to me is like, I'm looking at that organization and is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You do not want to let this guy walk, you know, because if he gets tagged, he'll make around $17 million a year. And to me, that's a reasonable annual value. I don't think he's going to get, you know, Jalen Ramsey money of like 20 or 25 million a year. I think the 17 to 18 million dollar range is is a good fit, you know, whether it be from the tag or be long term. But if you're New England, you are doing everything you can to keep this guy around. If I if I was a GM for that Patriots team, JC Jackson would be priority number 1 for me because if he walks, who's going to be your number 1 corner? Jalen Mills? Miles Bryant, Joan Williams. No, you have a number one that you can at least plug in. You know, he might not be the best, but he's a great ball hawking cornerback. So you keep him on that roster, regardless of however it is, you keep him on that roster. So your defense can actually have a chance at getting better and better. So New England has got to turn, put that car in drive, look forward to the offseason and get J.C. Jackson back under contract. Keep him in New England. Hashtag keep J.C. in N.E. Hopefully I can start that trend. I don't know if I will, but there's a lot of action going on in the city of Boston. As, as always, the fans are looking for nothing but success. as we always do we look at our lol moment of the week and this week's moment is going to the public address announcer at nba all-star weekend now i did a lot of research i don't know the guy's name to be completely honest so my apologies if for some crazy reason he's actually watching this but why does he make the moment well If you watch the video of the all-star game players be introduced, there was quite a bit of flub for one of the game's biggest players. Take a look at this. He's been named defensive player of the year and earned most valuable player honors twice. The MVP of the 2021 NBA Finals from the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, once again, Giannis Antetokounmpo's last name gets mispronounced. Now, let's be honest. I mean, this is something I've kind of noticed when you look at like superstars, you know, in all sports, they've got some nice, easy names. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Stephen Curry. It's super simple, you know, that it just kind of flows off the tongue. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a mouthful. Don't get me wrong. And We've seen quite a number of people who have flubbed that name, but I don't think I've seen a name flubbed the way it is, especially 
on the big stage. And what's funny about that video is when you look at Giannis, he's unaffected by it. He's unaffected by it. I think just because it's been mispronounced so many times and he's just kind of used to it, but he didn't even like, you know, he didn't do a look of like, what did he say? Like, how did he say? And of course that, you know, followed up the, the great reaction that Cleveland gave Steph Curry, you know, booing him and then Steph saying, thank you. Thank you. So he was probably thinking about that, but again, Giannis just bats an eye, like the way his last name was mispronounced was absolutely nothing. I mean, he's probably gotten used to Shaquille O'Neal, calling him Antetokounmpo over and over and over, but it's Antetokounmpo. And honestly, it wasn't until 2019 that I, you know, started to get the hang of it. You know, I was like on Antetokounmpo, but now I just, it it comes natural now. (laughs) Giannis Antetokounmpo comes completely natural to me. So uh, Mr. Public Address Announcer at NBA All-Star Weekend in Cleveland. He should go back to the drawing board and learn about Giannis's last name because your mispronunciation of the Greek freak has earned yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that does it once again for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting your podcasts, whether it be on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure, as always, you follow our other pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.